Hi, everyone. Welcome to Frontier Faith, a podcast where it's okay not to know, not to know what you believe or why you believe it. And it's okay to just be wherever you are on this journey of faith or life or what have you. Uh, What we try to do here is show you that other people, even trained and uh, quote unquote experts within the field of some sorts, they also are in the same place that you are. My name is Nathan Whitaker. Hello, my name is Ryan Harris. And Ryan just got nervous when I called us experts. I just don't know who, I mean, he must be talking about himself. I he's, mean, we're not experts, but he's we're the trained. Expert. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and today we're gonna continue this positive project where we're searching for something not necessarily new, but newer than what we've received, or maybe even older, depending on what we talk about as we explore uh, the history of the church, the history of theology, and um, yeah, where we want to go on this new frontier. So we were reflecting on last week's episode, which we talked a lot about salvation and specifically how we're wanting to look at different aspects of that. Um, we, we said the phrase, maybe we need a different gospel, i.e. different than the one we were taught. And we won't, I won't go over all of it again here, but we basically talked about um, how the gospel we were taught was, we're all terrible sinners dangling over hell. Jesus died so that God doesn't have to throw us in hell, even though that's probably what God wants to do. And now we get to go to heaven. We focused on that. And then we talked about... Um, so, so I talked a lot, well, we both talked about, but focused a lot on how um, salvation, I think, needs to have a more temporal quality to it. So not focusing on eternity to the exclusion of, you know, everyday life. And then Nate brought up and we talked about um, shifting our focus from being sinners to actually believing that we're loved by God. And what would that look like? So as we were reflecting on that, we were just kind of talking and a thought occurred to me and we talked about it a little bit and thought we'd bring it up here just to talk about it with you all. And I just wondered in all of our talk about the salvation or the understanding of salvation that we were given in our various contexts. And I think by and large, the ones that that is present in conservative Christianity as a whole in America anyway. Um you know, evangelical or evangelical adjacent, as the case may be. Uh, that's certainly true. And, and and we talked a lot about it being, you know, not a great thing. And I guess what we were wondering about is I said, so is it true that that was the entire gospel we were taught? Or have we made a caricature based on our own experiences um, and that sort of thing? Um, so we just kind of wanted to talk about that for a bit and see where it takes us. So Nate, where does it take you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm curious before I answer, if anybody wants to let us know, I know you, we usually do that plug at the end where you could email us, but email us at frontierfaithpodcast at gmail.com. Cause as we are exploring this, I'm curious if you have thought about that. Like, is this the fullness of Christianity that we actually did receive or that we've discovered along the way? Um, and uh, is or is Christianity more than than what we received uh, even that way or just more than in what we received? We received more than this caricature. Yeah, like um, what was your understanding of the gospel, right? If you had to explain it to somebody, what were you taught? You know, yeah. we're, and you can say what it is now today if you want to, but we're really wondering about, you know, what what were you taught about what it is? That's kind of what we're interrogating here, I think. Yeah, and I don't know, like I I fluctuate between saying there is definitely a depth to the kind of theology within my heritage, right? there, Just taking the sheer amount of writings that had to happen with the Lutheran Reformation, uh, that would take a lifetime to really, multiple lifetimes, to really get into and understand all the nuance of, uh, and that's why academia is the way it is at the seminary, because there are people exploring those uh, that those depths as much as they can. Um, 
So I think the first thing I would say is that I, I want to be sensitive or let's say I want to be wary, leery. I don't know the right word. I want to be those. aware that it's possible for us to, or at least for me in my own mind, to put a caricature on Lutheranism that's uh, reflective of either my own experiences or what Lutheranism is today, because the tradition is much fuller than that, right? Um, but at the same time, I also wonder, have we taken that heritage in Lutheranism and dwindled it down to something that is consumable? And I use that word directly. Um, I remember a few times in my seminary education, as I am, as I do often, I get abstract and headsy and I start talking and people look at me and like, I, I kind of get what you're saying, but I don't really understand. And I would do this sometimes in sermons and this, that, and the other, and professors, pastors, and so forth would come to me and say something around the idea that you have to get to the plain meaning of the text. And this is a, a catchphrase or a, a yeah, just a phrase that we say in Lutheran circles to mean that uh, you have to preach in such a way that somebody can come into your church at a, you know, general reading level. What is it? Eighth grade, I think, for yeah. most Americans and understand what you're saying. Um, and there's some real beautiful truth to that. Absolutely. Um, at the same time, it also seemed like we were boiling down a lot of what we learned into one cohesive salvation story mm -hmm. that was simple to understand and that you could carry people through week to week. Um, and I think to myself, as I want to hear your answer before we get deeper, but I think to myself, those are the moments that in my experience, not just as training as a pastor, but being a, a kid in the pews and so forth, um, that was stressed to me that that really makes me think maybe we're not doing a caricature, even though that danger is always there, of salvation narrative history um, and salvific ramifications mm -hmm. to everything that that we're told about in church. I don't know. What do you think? So I think what made what what made the question arise in my brain was that I was reflecting on it and thinking about the fact that I agree that it's not a caricature in that it is definitely taking place, right? This understanding of salvation that we talked about last week, that most people who have any history with the conservative Christian church, well, conservative evangelical Christian church, or it's... Um, you know, adjacent bodies anyway. Um, I think that that is certainly true. It, it, it I mean, look around you, right? Uh, so I don't think it's a caricature in that sense. I guess what made me wonder is that I was thinking about some of the churches I went to growing up and until recently. And I was thinking about the fact that I also experienced other things there too. Um, they did talk about other things, even though this, what we talked about last week was very much the emphasis. And like I did experience times or even uh, ways in which, you know, we did focus more on people being loved by God than being sinners, um, that kind of thing. And so what made me pause was I'm saying like, is it like, were we being overly reductionistic to boil it down to saying, this is what they believe about salvation. And I don't, you know, as we talk about it now, I don't like, I think it's kind of yes and no. <laughs> like, no, I don't think we're being overly, overly reductionistic because it, it, I think, is kind of the central thrust of everything else. Um, and I might even argue that some of the more, uh, I don't know what the word I want, I want to say like nurturing or better things or other things that we talked about too are perhaps even somewhat a response to their awareness that it's not enough on its own, but, but not sure what to do about it. But because then I thought also like in the church I was at until 
So my previous church where I was on staff and, and all of that, like it was a place that I experienced a lot of good things and healing and love. But then at the end of the story, it was still very much the reason I had to leave was because of a more um, moralistic, salvific approach that's based on sin and like we talked about. So I don't know, that was kind of a rambling answer. But I guess what I'm saying is I don't think we're being overly reductionistic. But perhaps everything we've said doesn't mean that there was nothing else that took place or takes place now either. Yeah. I wonder, as you were talking, I kind of think of it, since we're both in practical theology, that's our training, I tend to think of things of uh, the church speaking to culture and to people within a specific time and place. And I wonder if what we inherited especially the older we get, it seems like we are on as millennials or whatever you want to call it. We're on like a, a cusp of a radical shift and COVID of course has made that mm. much more, but so did Trump and so forth. All of that uh, boomers getting older and losing power and financial and blah, 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 all the stuff that you hear, that's all part of it. Um, so it's not because millennials are great. It's just because we're born at a certain time yeah. in our country here. Um, and I wonder when it comes to religion, if maybe what we're experiencing is a cultural way of speaking that just no longer hits its target. It used to hit its target quite well. Um for the age of the boomers and the greatest generation too, um, between those ages, like when I'm at a church, uh, those ages are usually the ones that um, have the most trials with uh, change and because mm -hmm. they're used to hearing this kind of stuff. And they, I, th I just started to believe they hear it much differently than I do. Right. If they hear um, that they are loved, no matter what I'll, I'll, I'm singling out one guy. There's this one guy, um, who was 87, 88. He was in his late eighties and he came to me and he was very upset because I wasn't preaching that he was a sinner. I was mm. just preaching that he was loved. And he said, don't you see that? I don't know if I'm loved, if I'm not told I'm a sinner first. And you should see uh, my face right now <laughs> in my ears. That's awful. Right. And probably everybody else but that's for him, uh, it's like pastoral malpractice on right a, exactly <laughs> you know but i think for him he was being genuine like he had heard this this uh message so often or this mm -hmm. way of talking so much that when it was absent he didn't know what to do with it um that's and so i wonder about that right there was the podcast the the rise and fall of mars hill which mm -hmm. was another instance of this where it seemed to have been doing so much good for so many people and then behind closed doors and even not closed doors. Yeah, not so closed doors. Yeah. Shitty stuff happening. And and so you wonder about that too. Um, I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that? That maybe um, the church is just kind of moving along the same path that it always has and the culture has changed a little bit. And that's what's causing this disruption where we see things a certain way that others within the church just don't? Well, I mean, I think some people older than us see it. I mean, I, th I think they do. I think by and large in the conservative world, it doesn't seem like very many. Or it seems like if they do, it's so that they can say why it's nonsense. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm thinking right. like, I don't know how old D.A. Carson is, but that approach to it's like, oh, yes, I understand what you're saying, but you're wrong. That, yeah. you know, that that that's present. Um my my blood pressure went up because he mentioned D. A. Carson. I know he's such a such a I, boob. <laughs> just such a just such a yeah, and he's rich too. Anyway, um, I think and also side note that poor man, right? Like that he's he's heard for eighty something years that he's a sinner and he's still not sure. It's I know, like, right? If nothing else, and I, I don't blame him for it. That's not what I mean no, at all. No. I just I feel so bad for him because it's like. You know, imagine doing that to somebody forever. Yeah, and right. he's just one of many. And I and that's not unique to your group either. I mean, that's kind of what we're talking about, right? Like I think he is in a lot of ways emblematic of the problem that we're that we're trying to find a more positive way 
to go forward with. What was your original question? <laughs> uh, I mean, the simple way to phrase that question is like, are we just experiencing a cultural shift? And mm. because we're on the side that recognizes that shift, that we have a tendency to uh, mischaracterize or caricaturize uh, the the Christian message and not see what um, what good the churches are doing. I think that we are on a in or are in a cultural shift, but I think it's also important to recognize that most of us are because we've been forced into it, right? We've been abused into it. We've been uh, run off into this cultural shift, right? So, um, you know, I had to leave because I was gay. Uh, how many women have been treated like shit by the church? Yeah. And so now they're not part of it anymore or the problems with systemic racism or, um, you know, even even the straight white guys like you who've been treated terribly by the church. And I don't mean that to minimize it. I'm just saying like it's been right. universal yeah. just in some ways while also recognizing it's been unique for different people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I think so. I guess what I'm saying is I and you didn't do this, but I don't want to gaslight us into into it other than to like, I want to recognize that, yes, I think we are in a cultural shift. And I think that that but that is one that's been forced upon us in a well that we've been forced into. I don't know if we've if it's been forced upon us because yeah. that sounds like they're driving it when I don't right. think that's true. Um, so, yeah, I think. I think there is a sometimes a difficulty in seeing culture change when you're a part of that change. But I think a lot of us have been forced to, because like I said, in my case, I couldn't go to church, that kind of church anymore or yeah. whatever. So I think it's some of both maybe. Okay. Something that I've been thinking about is uh, that adds to this is that maybe because uh, one of the things we want to make sure we don't do is just reform the system and make it the same, but for different people. Right. right. And I think that's probably part of the the root of the question you're asking um, is, are we are we making a bad guy, a villain out of something without and, and part of me resonates with that. I, I listened to this um, video and it was uh, an anecdote about Albert Einstein. And he goes up, he's meeting with a bunch of students. He goes up. I don't know if, how true this is. It's right. just an anecdote I heard. But he goes up and he does division or multiplication, nine times one, and he goes all the way up to nine times 12. But when he gets to nine times nine, he writes 98 instead of 99. And um, nine is 87. Nine times 11. I'm sorry. Okay. Nine times <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. I'm not good at this, nine. <laughs> nine times 11. Uh, yeah, he writes 98, not 99. And of course, the students right away, they're like, oh, we caught Einstein. He did something wrong. And you know, because he's a professor and he's German, he said, uh, so I want you to notice something. I did that on purpose because I perfectly accomplished 10 things before I messed up the one thing. And we spent all this time talking about the one thing I did wrong instead of the 10 things we did right. Hmm. And, you know, I think there's some truth to that. Uh, as a pastor, I have heard more about what I've done wrong than what we've done well together. Uh -huh. And as we go through this journey and we want to um, not be like the character caricature that we are developing or in danger of developing, we, we need to recognize um, that the church is broken as it is and as abusive as it is, has given us Jesus and, you know, probably more too. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's like, um, it really shows that, uh, the Holy spirit really is in charge of the church. And despite our best efforts, she still makes things <laughs> work out in the way that it needs to, you know, like, I think there's something to that. And that's not an excuse. It's not a, it's not a, a justification of bad things that have happened and are currently happening. It's, I think it's in some ways, it's very um, encouraging to know that in whatever way that God does, God still 
accomplishes things through the church, even um, even the even the one as it exists now. And I guess I don't think anyone listening to us is going to think that we're in danger of saying like, so therefore it's fine, you know, because that's not yeah. not what we mean. <laughs> but it might account for the fact that even in all of those things, people are still experiencing God. Yeah. I mean, that's always a question that's a struggle, right? I remember uh, going with what we talked about last week. A lot of times you'd hear that question come up when some wildly successful pastor, whether that was a large church or just a small church that was healthy or whatever, whenever they would be caught in some kind of you know, sin, uh, mm-hmm. usually like money or sex or, or something like that. The right. question was always, well, but how can this be the case? Like, how can all these people be achieving good things when this was also going on? And it's like, it's not because pastors, if they have an affair with somebody that that God's like, oh, that's fine. I think it's more about like, regardless of that, God still accomplishes God's purposes yeah. in people's lives. And it's a tough one to wrestle with because it doesn't make a lot of sense, you know? No, (laughs) it doesn't make any sense. (laughs) It really doesn't. Yeah. And I think there's a place to name that. And I think not only, and honestly, it's not only for the sake of Christians who are still in that world, although it is for them, it's also for, for those of us who are transitioning, I get that question a lot when I start talking poorly about the church. People mm-hmm. say, well, why are you still a pastor? Why are you mm-hmm. still whatever? So on and so forth. A Lutheran, a Christian. It's like, well, because there's still something here that not not because of the church. Often it's usually in spite of the church. Yeah, sometimes it feels like it's in spite of. Yeah. Yeah. But there is something here. And Noting that, I think, is healthy for one's faith. It helps, at least it has helped me not ground myself necessarily, but uh, I think for my personality, my brain is my worst enemy as much as it is my best ally. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I start to get into this world where I fabricate everything. And I think I'm just creating whatever I want to create. And so forth. And for me personally, it's healthy. It's a healthy check to say, no, you're grounded at least a little bit in the church and the tradition that you've gotten. Um, You're not making up grace. Uh, If anybody did that, um, you know, you've got a whole host of people before you that could have done that all the way back to Luther and Jesus and whatever. So I don't know what it means for you to, to know that. Well, uh, you're rooted in something bigger than that. It means that other people don't get to take Jesus away from me. That's mm-hmm. not how it works. And or anybody else. Right. Like we've talked a lot on here about uh, in groups and out groups and all of that kind of stuff. And one of the things we've said rather firmly is it doesn't work that way. And that's because, you know. Jesus is the free gift to all people. Right. And neither you nor me nor anybody else can take that away from people. And some days I focus more on the, yeah, you can't have him. Like you can't take him from me side of it. And some days it's more of like, well, whatever happens to me, Jesus isn't going anywhere. Right. And whatever I do or say, or or whatever, like, like there were many times in my story where I strongly considered just being, you know, if you'll pardon the phrase to hell with the whole thing, you know? (laughs) Um, And the only reason I think that that didn't happen was because uh, was because Jesus, right? Like, like yeah. you know, so I think that's what sticks out to me is that part of what we're, I think, exploring is the universality of the gospel. Um, and that means that nobody gets to, to set boundaries on Jesus like we all so desperately w- want to do. Even us sometimes, I imagine, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. And I'm glad for that because one, how would that even work? I mean, let's let's think about what we're saying here, right? <laughs> uh, we say all the time, well, we can't understand God and God and all this. And then we say, here's how you understand God in a very systematic <laughs> manner, you know? So yeah. anyway, that, that's kind of what sticks out for me. So instead of seeing 
what we did last week as a building of a caricature of Christianity that we received, and then speaking against that for a different kind of gospel. Maybe what we're doing instead is seeing the pressure points of where theology meets life and how we've been taught to think about our faith and live out our faith a certain way, and it meets someone different. Hmm. It meets a different understanding of the world, um, and that creates friction and pressure, right? So let's just take a basic example, um, you know, uh, one that's probably not close to us. Well, it's not close to us, but um, misogyny, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have a church that is taught a certain way about men, orders of creation, head of household, Adam created first, all that kind of stuff. And they meet a world where women, um, world being just an individual person, a community, uh, whatever, where women are not seen that same way, that brings out a pressure point, right? Mm -hmm. It brings out a debate. And it could come in different expressions. It gets very complex. It could become what it was before the 19th Amendment about women in voting. Uh, congregations didn't let women vote for a long time in my expression of the faith. Um, and it could be that. It could be the modern day of like uh, women and pastors and abortion. You could have all sorts of ways that that pressure is is mounting and and is expressed within a faith tradition. Um, but I think for us, putting all that together, a pressure point helps us see how Christianity uh, interacts with where people are in their lives, this cultural shift that we talk about, but also in their faith, which is what Ryan and I have been giving voice to, that Jesus seems to privilege women in a way that would be scandalous today, right? Mm -hmm. He goes and gives leadership to women uh, for, and it seems like the church did for what, six centuries or something. Before. A long time until, yeah. <laughs> I mean, hey, who did Jesus appear to first? Exactly. But anyway, we've, we've had that discussion before, but exactly. uh, yeah. So maybe we're not looking at how, uh, how that's a caricature, but maybe how there is a pressure point that culture is showing us needs to be teased out. And that's, mm. I think maybe what I'm, I'm coming to the realization of is that these pressure points or these debates or conflicts, I don't like those kinds of words, but more debates. Okay. Um, conflict. I don't quite like because it feels like very winner versus loser type language. Um, but where the culture is speaking, um, I think that's where the gospel really needs to be heard the most, right? Like, it almost sounds like you're talking about, and this is just the word that came to my mind. So tell me if it's not the right one, but it, it's it sounds almost like you're saying the one of the different aspects of the gospel that we need is that it needs to be dynamic um, in a way that at least I was always told not only is it not, but that it shouldn't be, right? You know, we've talked about that a lot of this idea of like you know, the gospel should be dictating to culture and not the other way around. And yeah. I don't know that that's exactly what you're saying, but it sure sounds like, you know, these pressure points come up. Um, and what I was taught, and I think you too, was that, um, well, that means that the God, you know, whatever the gospel says is the right side and whatever's not in the church is, you know, de facto the wrong right. side. And, and then yet, I think the moment we're at in history or, or our lives right now is we look at it, and we're saying, well, now, wait a minute, it sure seems like these pressure points are because uh, in some cases, the quote culture is understanding these things better than we are. You know, I yeah. think about like when I read that, that uh, thing by, um, gosh, how am I forgetting his name? A Derrida about uh, hospitality, right? And I said, wait a minute, this guy who's not a Christian understands hospitality better than we do. Yeah. And, you know, so it sounds like, is dynamic the right word or is there, a, is like, you know, organ? I don't know. What, what do you think? Yeah, I like that. I think once you said that, it sparked in my mind all sorts of ways that that's accurate. Um, yeah. yeah. So maybe that's all it is, is that uh, 
the gospel that we find in scriptures or that we being you and I is more dynamic than the one we've received. I don't know if we need to phrase it that way necessarily. Um, but that a dynamic faith allows for adaptability in a rapidly changing world. Um, that's uh, fascinating. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think that still leaves room for it to uh, the gospel to be the, the thing that drives the change as well, right? Whatever change it might be. I mean, um, I don't think we're saying just switch the gospel for, quote, the culture, whatever that is. Um, I more mean of like, it's like looking for wherever God is uh, showing areas that need to change for the better. And perhaps what we need to do is look at these places where we are being, where these pressure points come up. And instead of just saying, well, you know, this is, quote, the gospel, so therefore everybody else must be wrong. It's pausing and really considering and maybe even admitting that maybe we've had something wrong, either, you know, in a more short term -term sense, like in the last hundred years or so, or maybe even from the, I don't know about from the beginning, but for a very long time in the Mm -hmm. church, you know, Uh, I think that's the kind of stuff we need to do more of, because not only is I think the gospel need to be dynamic, but I think it needs to be secure enough to be able to handle that. You know, I think I think the gospel that we grew up with was very much somebody or something, I should say, that uh, falls apart at the barest prodding. And it's like, that's not a strong <laughs> thing. You know, yeah. that's, that's like you build a house and the wind blows and it falls down. <laughs> right. Whereas a house that's properly built doesn't fall down when there's a storm or when there's a, you know, some of them in some cases, even if there's an earthquake. So, um yeah. I don't know. I think maybe that's part of what we're, we're what we're getting at here is that um, the gospel needs to be different in that it needs to be more dynamic and more. Well, I think it. I think the gospel is secure, but I don't think that our gospel has been very secure. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah. Like I think that Jesus <laughs> is the definition of building your house upon the rock, right? To right. use to borrow from uh, Jesus. From him. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas I think we've treated Jesus like it's building the house upon the sand. And mm. I think that's that's one of the things that we're trying to think about in terms of how might that be different if we say, no, Jesus can handle it, whatever, whatever it may be. What about this? So you, I loved everything you said. Absolutely. And I'm trying to like put it in my own words. And it sounds like... Maybe the kind of gospel we're looking for that appreciates the heritage that we have inherited, appreciates what we've been given, while also looking to to the future in a dynamic way. Maybe it's a gospel of more, because you Mm -hmm. said that as a qualifier, more Mm -hmm. uh, humble is kind of what you were talking about, a more humble, but also a more strong or more secure faith, uh, humble and confident. They go together. Humility mm-hmm. and confidence go together. Um, the more confident you are, the more humble you can be. Um, and maybe vice versa. I don't yeah, know. I think so. Yeah. Um, but more seems like a big word that captures probably what we're trying to get at. It's not that. And yeah, there are, there are times where people, uh, the the church has not expressed what they say they express at all to certain groups of people. For example, LGBTQ in general, conservative Christians need to do more than just more, right? Because they're not doing very much at all, um, if at all. Um, yet you can still say they need to be more like Jesus or they need to be more like the faith and more compassionate, more loving uh, and I, I kind of like that word more. Well, I think it also insists upon us and anyone like us <clears throat> also doing the same thing. So as, as we explore or look for different aspects of, quote, the gospel, like it insists that we also 
interrogate ourselves and, you know, examine our own foundations. And um, I mean, that's what we're, that's what we're doing here, which is why it's so hard to do. <laughs> like I've been yeah. thinking, I've been talking like, this is hard stuff. Like it, <laughs> I'm not saying that all we did before this was just tearing things apart, but in some ways focusing on the, the, um, the negative side of things, if, if that's what we were doing, I'm just saying that was a lot easier, right? Because it's easier to, to and necessary to look at the things that are problematic. Yeah. But it's a lot harder to start exploring the like what we're trying to do, the more positive side of things. But I think what we're talking about here insists upon the same standards that we're asking for from uh, that we didn't have. It, 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 uh, it insists on us having them as well. And I think that that's really important because otherwise, however well-intentioned we may be right now, it would be difficult not to fall into the same problem at some point in the future, just maybe about different things or in different ways. I don't know. Yeah. It creates uh, an accountability. Um, Jesus does that, right? He does that a lot with the way that he talks. (laughs) One of the things that I uh, really struggle with um, is be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. Now, perfection is a bad translation. It's it's whole. Be whole like your complete, father is whole. Yeah, yeah complete. Finished. Yeah. And um, I I don't know like that that accountability and that not it's not a should that Jesus does there. It is a I think he taps into who we are. Like we want to be better than we are mm-hmm. in this moment. We want to be wholer than we are more whole. Um, and God wants that too. That's the other thing, right? Like, right. I, I know I've said it bef- a few times, but that word insist keeps sticking in my brain and maybe even in my heart. I don't know, but it's like God, Jesus insists on that. Like, I mean, name me a more insistent person than Jesus. Just look at any <laughs> story, right? In some way, that's what Jesus is doing. And that's what you and I were talking about in our stories about, you know, why are we still here? Why why did we, you know, not pack it up and go home after all of these things? And so many stories that we've heard from others too. It's because, yeah. you know, God is insistent on not letting us go, any of us. Um, and then I hope that creates that same insistence in us, um, which I think is the more secure way of looking at it. And it gives me some reassurance because it means that as I mess up along the way, that there will be course corrections and that's okay. Not, I mean, we want to do our best not to hurt people. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm just saying as, as, uh, different things are tried or even some things that we look back and say, we should not have done or said X, Y, or Z that God will still uh, make ways for it to be, you know, fixed or forgiven or whatever the word might be. And so that's encouraging to me as well. Yeah. I really like this uh, train of thought and I'm trying to think like if we were to put what we've done into one of these more statements, what would it be? And I think what we have been trying to, part of what we've been trying to do, I think there's lots of ways you could put this into a more statement, but in light of what we've talked about is we want more humility. Mm-hmm. And I know I already said that word, but I want to just riff off of what you said. Um, a humble church recognizes that it does hurt people. Mm-hmm. A humble church recognizes that it does make mistakes. A humble church is a church that recognizes it could always do better. Um, and and is, a humble church is not re- willing to leave things that way too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That it's going to do the hard work or that it needs to do at least the hard work. That's what a humble church would do. Um, and maybe that's more of what we've been trying to give voice to is that humility of but we keep on bumping up until like this uh, weird where the church and God are the same on Mm. in many people's thoughts. Like they don't think it really in their theology, but the way they act and the way they talk, the church is the mouthpiece of God and therefore Mm -hmm. is God in a weird, strange way. So it can't be wrong. Um, We see those in those pressure points, right? Um, which if they're Protestant churches, that's kind of hilarious. But yes, I think yeah. I think we do see that. Yes. Uh, 
And so maybe it's that we're bumping up against that. The arrogance is what I would say from my perspective, but really maybe just the lack of humility and, and willingness to uh, say that they're wrong because of fear or whatever else that might mean. Like, hey, if I'm part of something that's wrong, then I've been wrong or, you know, all the, the basic insecurities we have. I don't know. What do you think about like reframing our negative project, if you will, to a call to being more humble. Right. Right. And, and I think what, maybe what prevents it from being a caricature, and I hope I'm not repeating myself too much is, is that we are subject to the same demand, right? So what are we, what have we been screaming for from the churches we came from? Uh, humility, you know, dynamism, love, whatever it is. Yes. But we're also like, though, that's what we like. That's what's in, in, um, what's the word I want? That same demand is imposed on us, like by us, but also by God. And I think that that, that I think fits more of what I've experienced in my life of, you know, um, the way that God works, but it also, I think, um, shows that the gospel is at work in what we're doing too. Because if the gospel is more humble and is more dynamic and is more, uh, you know, salvific, but in some of the different ways we've been focusing on, then shouldn't we expect to see those things in our lives too? Hmm. I think the answer is yes. <laughs> um, or we should at least be looking for those things. You know? Yeah. Because why, if if the gospel is more of these things, why would God not um, do that in our hearts and our lives and our, you know, whatever word you want to use? Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. We're thinking about that, folks. That's what you're hearing right now. It's like, hmm, what if? Well, and I think if I would be so bold seems like if there is a church, that's what the church ought to be like, mm -hmm. is one that meets to hear how we're loved clearly by Jesus Christ. We gather to, to be loved by God, by others, and to love mm -hmm. others. Yeah, and that requires the hard work of... Mm -hmm the humility that comes that we've been talking about, but also recognizing that just because we have our pains that we speak about and speak against in terms of the faith and the church that we've received, um, that we're just as capable of inflicting the same pains to other people. And we ought to uh, be ready to repent. And, and we don't want to, I want to say this the right way. We don't want to marginalize people, even if they have marginalized us. And I don't say that as a way to excuse that behavior, like what has happened to me and you and so many other people is awful, is terrible, is wrong, is in some cases you'd even say evil, right? And I don't, and like full stop. But also I do think that that. God's work in our hearts requires us to turn the other cheek. I think I think that's the kind of thing it means, right? Is not saying that what happened to me was okay or mm -hmm. that it was um like we don't we're not gaslighting ourselves. We're saying no, it was wrong and it was bad and it was horrible and it I'm you know, we still deal with the effects of it. But also we don't then want to turn around and do the same thing to the people who did it to us or others, um, because that's a very natural cycle of how that works, right? Like it's the problem with marginalization and, and evil in that sense is that it perpetuates itself. Um, so anyway, I think, I think that's, I think that, uh, I guess this is a bit of a different direction, but it just kind of occurred to me here. And it's just that, I think I've said before that one of the things I want to keep from the heritage that I have is being sensitive to the work of the spirit in my life, but also in the world and the church. And so that's 
that's, I think, what we're talking about here is that, like we said earlier, in some way that only God understands, the Holy Spirit is still working through the church. And that includes people like you and me and everybody who listens to this and others like us. And and it in some way includes the people we came from, too. But but we want to be sensitive to how the Spirit is working to bring healing to us um, and to bring healing through us uh, in whatever way that that ends up working. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I think what's causing so many of these pauses is it feels really good. It feels right, but it's just so new. It is Mm -hmm. not the way we have been talking. And as you said, it's a little bit harder. It makes your brain work a little bit more. Well, and I think it's not the way that theology is supposed to, well, I'm not saying you and I have invented something novel here, but what I am saying is you read theology by theologians anyway. And generally by the time you're reading it, it's they've thought things through and here's, here's this book I wrote about what I've decided on this subject. And I think what we're doing, um, people like us are doing is we're not at that part of the process yet. And maybe focusing on that part of the process is one of the things that have gotten us into the prob- some of the problems that we're looking at. You know, um, we're, we're working it out as we go because that's what life makes you do. I guess that's a very practical theology way of looking at things. But <laughs> I mean, that's why, that's, why, that's why we're doing this podcast is because our lives have put us in a way, in places um, mm-hmm. where we have to ask these, difficult and different questions and really interrogate and examine um, possible answers and directions that we weren't very comfortable with and in some cases still aren't super comfortable with. Yeah. Yeah. This kind of thing is hard because we don't know exactly what we think, but also because like I think we said last week, there's still a lot of fear about well, you know, what if we say the wrong things or we teach somebody the wrong things? Or, you know, what if we, uh, like, are we saying there's no such thing as sin or, or whatever those questions might be? And so it's, it's hard to do. Yeah. So I just want to encourage as we get towards the end here, encourage those of you who are thinking through this. Um, don't sell yourself short. This is hard work. It is new work for at least our generation or our time as we're finding it right now. uh, I think it's really encouraging that there are lots of people. I mean, even just our podcast, we have about, you know, 25 folks that listen and uh, that's not very many, but it's, it's great. That means we have people that are exploring the same kinds of thoughts that Ryan and I are the ones that are interesting to you. Listening um, are being explored And of course, you take all the other communities that are much bigger than us, and uh, we're in this grand project of trying to figure out what Jesus is saying to us right now, how we can be a church of more, um, and at the same time, being a church of more requires that we give room for the voice of uh, what we haven't been able to accomplish together, whether that's... uh, you know, making people feel like they actually deserve the love of God, uh, that they um, are worthwhile no matter who they are or where they come from or what they do or anything else. Um, That voice is required too. And so that negative project, I think, is important as well as we kind of process what that means for us. Uh, If you're still there, it's okay. Mm -hmm. We're not trying to speak against that project. It's just it's a different place where Ryan and I are right now, where we're trying to figure out, okay, now that we've had that room to say what needs to be said, what do we do with this now? Well, how do we move forward? And um, I'm kind of liking where it's starting with this Mm -hmm. uh, church of the more. I don't know what we should call it. That's what we're calling it. Church of the more. We'll call it moreism. <laughs> we could be uh, French and pick out a uh, different uh, language and call it the Church of the whatever the Moss, which would be uh, Spanish, right? More is plus, I think. 
Well, I mean like the flamboyance of. Uh, oh, you want to be Church of the Flamboyance? Well, yeah. Okay, so long, and our our uh, our logo could be a flamingo. Um, oh wait, that's just <laughs> that's just sounding gay, uh, and I can make that joke. Haha. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> I think yeah, I don't know that I have a lot to add to that. I, I think I would just echo what you said about wherever you're at in the process is okay. And even Nate and I are still in some areas still on the, uh, the, the quote more negative or deconstruction or whatever you want to call that too. I think the, that's how that works is I don't know that you'll ever be at a point in your life where there's none of that at all. I think maybe that's part of the problem we're reacting to honestly, is the idea that you'll ever be finished <laughs> with that kind of stuff. But yeah, I don't know. Anything else we need to say about this, Nate? No, I don't think so. All right. Well, stay tuned for the new church that we're starting, the this new movement called Morism. Um, and uh, you can get it on the ground floor, get cheaper prices. And then when when you pass it on to the people below you in our inverted ice cream cone plan, that's what it's called. It's not a pyramid. Anyway, um, the joke was funnier <laughs> in my head than it turned out to be, but... As is so often the case in my life, people just don't always appreciate my comedic. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's fine. It's whatever. It's not like it's my birthday this week or anything. Um, all that being said, we already told you to send us emails. That'd be great if you could. Frontierfaithpodcast at gmail.com. Um, also tell your friends about our podcast or if you want, tell your enemies. They can listen to it too. That's cool. <laughs> if you really hate what we're doing, tell your enemies, you know? Um, <laughs> and that would be great. And uh, rate us on whatever podcast app you found us on. That'd be cool too. Uh, good ratings, please. If you hate us, don't rate us. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I guess that's all there is to say for this week. I don't know what we're going to talk about next week, but I'm glad that you are with us on this part of the journey, wherever you're at. And um we're looking for more. I guess that's what we're doing now. So I really think that as we do that, as we listen to the voice of God uh, through the spirit and through our lives and whatever way that God works, I think that's where we can trust that it's okay. We're not going to be in trouble. God's not angry at us, but it's, it's going to be okay because God will take care of us. 